I'm excited to open up the Word of God with you guys. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians 15, okay? This is the text that I've been uh, assigned, and Danny wanted me to talk about the gospel this morning. And so thank you, Danny, for giving me such a light topic um, to discuss. Obviously, that's a joke, right? In coming to the gospel, we come to the very heights of heaven, we might say. And I think all you guys would agree with that. In coming to the gospel, we come to uh, the glories of the scriptures and really the glory of God manifesting in a, in a great way. And, and we might add the greatest way. The gospel, just to start off, is the most important thing um, in all the world. Would anyone in here disagree with that? The gospel is the most important thing in all the world. And I guess to begin and taking you to 1 Corinthians 15, I might start off by talking about the priority of the gospel. The priority of the gospel. And that it is chief of all messages. And we know that because the Bible says that. We don't have to guess, right? We don't have to, uh, th- this isn't something that we're just coming up with. Um, I'm, I'm not doing that, um, by the way. <laughs> Um, this isn't something that we just say or that sounds good or that preaches that the gospel is the most important thing, but this is what the text says. Actually, if you're in Pastor Matt's hermeneutics class, wasn't it your first class that you looked at 1 Corinthians 15? Is that right? If you're a freshman, you guys were in 1 Corinthians 15. And there in verse 1, Paul says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached, which you received, which you Stand by which you are saved. And then verse 3, he makes this statement, For I deliver to you as of third importance. Right? That's what your text says. I deliver to you, Corinthians, a message of second importance. No, he says a message of first importance. Paul, in this verse, declares that the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ are of first importance, literally among the first. Among the first, he says, and this might be Paul's way of reminding the Corinthians that this was the very first thing that he delivered to them when he came to them. First Corinthians two, actually, he says this. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech, right? Like the golden tongue orders of his day. He says, for I determined to know nothing among you except what? When I came to you, because of the importance of the message, I wanted you to know what? Jesus Christ and him what? Crucified. Crucified. The priority of the gospel. I think when you come to 1 Corinthians 15, you see there in verse 3, it's of first importance. It's of first importance. The gospel isn't one class. I think this was C.J. Mahaney who said this. It isn't one class among many that you'll attend during your life as, as a Christian. I'll say that again. It isn't one class among many that you'll attend during your life as a Christian. He says the gospel is the whole building where all the classes take place. I love that. Paul Washer, my man, <laughs> says the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest of all treasures Given to the church and the individual Christian, it is a not, it's not a message among many, but it is the message above them all. Where's your text, Paul Washer? 1 Corinthians 15.3. 1 Corinthians 15.3. Among the first. When I came to you, Corinthians, I wanted you to know the very most important thing, and that is Jesus Christ. His death and His resurrection. The priority of the gospel here in 1 Corinthians 
15. But you ask the question, why is it the first? Why is it the first? Well, I think that that leads to another P because of the power of the gospel. Or how about this? The purpose of the gospel. I think the priority is tied to the power. I think the priority is tied to the purpose. What's the power of the gospel? What does it accomplish? Well, verse one, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, which you stand and by which you are. Here it is. What? You're saved. (laughs) The gospel is the message about Jesus and it is about Jesus saving sinners. Is there any greater need for man than the salvation of their soul? Actually, our Lord said this when he was talking about discipleship. He said, right, if any man wishes to follow me, he's got to, right, take up his cross. He's got to deny himself. He's got to follow me, right? And then he says at the end, Luke 9, 25, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and what? Loses his soul. Jesus, out of the mouth of our Lord himself, says salvation is the most important thing in all of life. In all of life. Actually, back in Romans chapter 1, and you guys are familiar with this passage. You don't have to go there. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God to bring about salvation of the sinner. And thus we find why it's the most important thing. Because the greatest need in man's life is the salvation of their soul. You don't gain anything. You don't gain anything if you lose your soul at the end of the day. And so the priority first, the power it saves. But I want to answer two questions this morning, looking at 1 Corinthians 15, okay? That was just kind of introduction. Two questions. What is it and what are we to do with it? Straightforward, right? What is it? What's the gospel? And what are we to do with it? And there might be a tendency, um, if you're familiar with this message, to, to tune out. But this, this is a message that we believers need. Amen? Again and again. Actually, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, or in Romans chapter 1, verse 15, he says, I was eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And these individuals were called saints. Called out saints, Right? And he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. We need this message every day, right? You've heard of the book Gospel Primer, right? Or Gospel Primer, however you want to pronounce it. (laughs) Such a great resource that brings us back to the glorious gospel. We need this. We need this. So two questions. What is it and what are we to do with it? And I'm going to answer that question. Answer those two questions straight out of 1 Corinthians 15. Okay. What is it? What is it? And uh, when, you, when you want to define the gospel and when you want to explain the gospel, I think 1 Corinthians contains the clearest explanation of the gospel in all of Scripture. I'll say that again because it's a bold statement. 1 Corinthians 15 contains the clearest explanation of the gospel in all of Scripture. There is no other place in both the Old and the New Testament, I would argue, that clearly lays out the gospel Its content is explicitly stated. Paul says, now I make known to you the gospel, which I preached to you. Now in verse three, he says, I deliver to you what? That Christ died and that he was raised, right? 
clearly stated. Nowhere else do you have that. In Romans chapter 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? But he doesn't clearly lay out the gospel in terms of its content, right? Following that statement. 1 Corinthians 15 is the clearest. And so in answering this question, what is it? I'm so glad that Danny chose this text for me because it's so clear. What's the message of the gospel? Well, first thing is this. It's a message. (laughs) It's a message. It's a message about Jesus. And I think that's important to say first because there are some out there, some out there who think that the gospel is our lives. That the gospel is our lives. And what I mean by that is that it's the testimony of our lives that we've submitted them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And why, why I get what they're saying and I get the heart of that, right? You hear the quote, St. Francis of Assisi, who actually really never said, uh, right, uh, what is often attributed to him in that uh, preach the gospel and when necessary, what? Use words, right? When necessary. Someone said that. And I get the heart of that. But I think that misses the very definition of what the gospel is, right? It's the good news. It is a message, a message involving words about the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we know that because of what euangelion means. That's the Greek word. It means good news. And we know that verse one, Paul says, I make known to you, brother, in the gospel, which I what? I preached. You preach the gospel. So first we might say, what is the gospel? It's a message about Jesus. It's a message. And now let's get to the real meat. It's a message about his death. And this might be odd to most. This might be odd to some. How is it that the good news contains a message of death? (laughs) You ever thought about that? Well, because of what the death accomplished, we might uh, answer. And because of what the death proves the righteousness of God, and because he didn't stay in the grave, right? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. The gospel is a message about death. Look at verse 3. Paul says, For I deliver to you as of first importance the chief Christian message, what I also received, and that, that is, here it is, first component, Christ died. Christ Died. This is an interesting phrase here. Christ died for our sins. I mean, <clears throat> we know what we mean when we say that Christ died for us, right? There's a lot of scriptures that talk about that. Christ dying for us. This means he died on behalf of us. He died in our stead. He died as our substitution. But to say that Christ died for our sins is to almost speak as if sin needs a substitute, right? Again, I understand when someone says Christ died for me, right? Instead of me taking on the wrath of God, Christ stepped in my place. But this phrase here is, is, is quite interesting. Christ died for our sins, as if sin needed a substitute, as if sin were some type of individual that Christ had to step in its place. But of course, this is not what's being communicated here. This phrase here doesn't mean that Christ died to substitute for sin, but rather he died, simply stated, to deal with sin. He died to deal with sin. In Galatians 1, Paul uses the same phrase, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us. So that he might rescue us. This is the message of the gospel, death. We often call this what? The atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the reality that Christ restores the sinner to God through his life. 
His death serves as a reparation or a compensation for the believer's sin. This is atonement. This is propitiation. You ever heard of that word, right? The satisfying of the wrath of God. The appeasing of the wrath of God. The scriptures testifies of this reality. In John 1, remember when Jesus came on the scene? John is out preaching. He's preaching repentance. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. In Romans 8, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. Powerful. First Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. In Romans 3, we're justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth, put forth, as a propitiation by his blood. If I can keep reading other scriptures, Hebrews 2, speaking of Jesus, calls him a merciful, a faithful high priest. I love that terminology. In the service of God, to make a propitiation for the sins of people. 1 John 2, he's the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus deals with sin. He deals with sin. He atones for it. He appeases the wrath of God, which stands over the sinner's head. This, this verse, we might talk about the death of Christ a little bit more, dying for sins, and focus on God. Does the fact that Jesus died for our sins, does that speak to the character of God? What about the holiness of God? Right? The fact that God had a standard and man could never achieve on his own that standard, which is why what? Christ died for our sins. It speaks of the holiness of God. Christ comes on our behalf because the holiness that God demands, right? The level of it is perfection. When people ask, do you have to be perfect to get into heaven? I say, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You have to be perfect to get into heaven. And the sinner could never accomplish that on his own, which is why he needs to be robed in the blood of Christ. Leviticus 1 is very interesting. We can talk about the holiness of God and the death of Jesus Christ as established in the scriptures. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But Leviticus 1 which is all about sacrifice, which foreshadows so beautifully the death and the atonement of Jesus Christ. In Leviticus 1, it says, He shall offer, speaking of the people who come to the tent of meeting to sacrifice, He shall offer a sacrifice, listen to this, at the doorway of the tent of meeting, that He may be accepted. The very purpose of sacrifice is so that you may be accepted. At the end of the book of Exodus, right, you, you know that the, the, the glory of the Lord came to dwell amongst the people of Israel. And thus you have the book of Leviticus. How is a sinful people going to dwell amongst the holy God? They're going to have to sacrifice so that they may be accepted. So that they may be accepted. The idea of this sacrifice speaks of the holiness of our God. But might I add to that a little bit? Does it not also speak the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sins, not only of the holiness of God, but what about this? What about the justice of God? Does it have anything to say about that? And that sin is a heinous thing in the eyes of God. And that Romans 6 clearly declares that the wages of sin is what? Death. 
And thus for God to be consistent in his nature, for sinners to be admitted into heaven, what has to happen? You have to, someone's got to die. Someone's got to die. And there's no way to get around that. Someone's got to die. Either the sinner or there is a substitute. This aspect of the gospel that is a message about death speaks about the holiness of God. It also speaks of the justice of God. Hebrews 2 says it was fitting for him to be offered. He had to be offered. It says it was consistent with the nature of God, sin and salvation. The justice of God necessitates that someone dies. I'll say that again. The justice of God necessitates that someone dies. Praise the Lord for Jesus' death on our behalf. Amen. Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Forgiveness. Romans 3, God displayed publicly Jesus through his blood as a propitiation to demonstrate. Listen to this. To demonstrate his righteousness. Because prior to the Lord Jesus Christ, the text says that he passed over sins. And so some might say, right, trying to bring a charge against our God, how can a good God, how can a holy God who sets forth a standard just pass over sin? The Lord Jesus Christ. He deals with that. So that God might be the just and the one who justifies. I love that. This is all in this phrase, I think, that Christ has died for our sins. Atonement, propitiation, the holiness of God, the heinousness of sin, the justice of God. But can I add just one more thing? What about the love of God? What about the love of God in 1 Corinthians 3? In that first aspect of the gospel in Romans 5, but God demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us, for our sins, the love. First John 3, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Again, John says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. How did he demonstrate it? In this way, he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin, the love of God. The holiness of God, the justice of God, all contained with this idea that Jesus died for our sins. This is the message of the gospel. It's a message about death. But it's not just a message about death, right? It's a message about life. Look at verse 4. And he was buried, right? Of course he was buried, right? That's what follows death. (laughs) Proof that he was dead, he was buried, and that... Here's the life. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The content of the gospel, guys, doesn't just stop with death. Don't preach a half gospel. (laughs) Don't preach a half gospel. It can't stop with death. It can't stop with death or else we all die. (laughs) If it stops with death, then all are hopeless. Actually, that's the point of 1 Corinthians 15. Is Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians, right, who are struggling with something that is a bodily resurrection. He says, remember the gospel I preached to you. Yes, it contained the message that Jesus died for our sins, but it also contained the message that what? He was resurrected, a bodily resurrect, resurrection. And you don't want to mess with the resurrection or you start messing with your salvation, right? 
Verse 12, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 12. He says, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, and you've believed in this, Corinthians, right? How do some, of, some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Why are you saying this? It's, it's illogical. A, part, a tenet, a part of the gospel, a linchpin in the gospel is the resurrection. You can't say that there's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, here's the ramifications of no resurrection. Verse 13, there's no resurrection of the dead. Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is so very meaningful. Is that what your text says? It's vain. Oh, and by the way, your faith is vain too. Moreover, he develops this further. Don't preach a half gospel. You got to preach the full gospel. Not only that he's died, but that this is a message about life. Because moreover, verse 15, we are found to be false witnesses, referring to the apostles. We testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not, <clears throat> whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And again, verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? So meaningful? It's worthless. Oh, and you're still in your sins. <laughs> verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep, that is those who are dead in Christ, what are, they're, they're perishing. We don't, preach a half, we don't preach a half gospel. We don't stop at the death. Verse 19, if, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, let's just go home. <laughs> let's just go home. The message of the gospel is a message about death, but it has to be a message about life. In that not only was... Did he die for us, but he was raised. Listen to Romans 4. He who has delivered over, who, he who was delivered over, speaking to Jesus, because of our transgressions. But listen to this. Catch this last phrase. And he was raised because of our justification. Delivered over for our transgress, transgression, raised for our justification. It's got to be both. It's got to be both. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is, so <clears throat> this is so necessary for the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we declare him as all-powerful if he didn't defeat death? C can we declare him as the son in power, Romans 1, verse 4, if he hasn't resurrected from the dead? This is why Paul later says in 1 Corinthians 15, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. And who's the last enemy? Death. Your salvation, but also the Lord Jesus Christ and his sovereignty is on the line. When you talk about the resurrection, what is the gospel? It's a message about death. It's a message about life. The resurrection. I just got to add this, though. I just thought this is so necessary. One more thing. It's a message that has its origin in God. The gospel is a message that has its origin in God. The content of the gospel isn't some man-made message. It isn't some human concoction. It isn't as if some individuals got together and said, well, you know what? Today, I want to I introduce some good news. 
Let's come up with some good news. The gospel is a message about death. It's a message about life about the, from the Lord, and it is from God. It is from God. And this is so comforting when I think about the message that I have believed in. All false religion begins with man, but not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a message from God, about God, telling us how to be right with God. And I think two things in the text point to this very fact that Paul is trying to emphasize this fact that this gospel that is about death and is about life has its origin in God itself. First, he says in verse three, look at it, for I deliver to you as a first importance, right? What I just put together last night, right? I I just put this message together last night. That's what the text says, right? He says what I received. Paul received this gospel. Again, I think this points to the origin of the gospel. Can Joseph Smith say this about the message, right, of Mormonism? It's been received. Can Buddha say this? Can Muhammad say this about the message of Islam, that the message that they teach has been received? Only ministers of the gospel, guys. Only ministers of the gospel. In Galatians 1, Paul says, I'm I'm an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of men, but God. Later on, he says this. He says, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which I preach to me isn't according to man. We preach death. We preach resurrection. And we preach that this is the message that has come down from heaven. He says, I've neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Damascus experienced. Then he went to Arabia, where, right, where the Lord taught him for three years personally. This is beautiful. This message has its origin in God. But I think one more thing in the text might indicate that this message isn't just about death. It's, it's a message about life, right, just life. It's a message that comes from God in this, in that this gospel message was established long before it ever came to fruition. I'll say that again. This gospel message was long before ever established before the Lord Jesus Christ was ever born. You know what I'm talking about? Look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. I didn't make this up. That Christ died for our sins. According to Paul? According to some human organization? No, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. This is so beautiful. Which he promised beforehand through his holy prophets. That's what Romans chapter 1 says. This is a message that was established long before Jesus ever came on the scene. And might I add to this, long before the world was ever established, because the text says he was slain before the foundation of the world. This is powerful. This points to the divine nature. Speaking of his death in verse 4, and he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, our message comes from God. Where do we find this at in the Old Testament? Can you defend the death of the Lord Jesus Christ from the Old Testament? We might go to Isaiah 53, right? We might go to Psalm 22. These are crucial messianic passages. What about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament? Where are you going to go? Well, we might go to all the texts that speak of his glory. 
Because clearly in the Old Testament they speak of his death, but to speak of his glory is to assume the resurrected position. Or we might go to Psalm 16, where God says what? My Holy One is not going to see what? Corruption? Oh, that was about David, wasn't it? No, Paul says in Acts chapter 2 when he's preaching on the day of Pentecost, listen, this Jesus who was crucified, he also raised, and then he quotes Psalm 16. Peter was an expositor, and he says this. Listen, this text wasn't about David. Guys, we know David's dead. (laughs) We can go to his grave. This is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's expositing Psalm 16, saying this is about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, established in the scriptures. Going back to the death, we might go to Daniel chapter 9, right? After 62 periods of seven, it says Messiah was going to be cut off. Surely our grief, he's born. Our sorrow, he's carried. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 700 years before this ever came about. You talk about a divine message. He was crushed. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we were healed. This is such a beautiful message. Can I just turn you to one more passage? Look at Luke 24. I love this. This is one of my favorite texts in all the scriptures. You know, the road to Emmaus, right? The resurrection has just taken place, and you got two guys. They're going to Emmaus, and the text says it was how far from Jerusalem? About six miles. It's about six miles from Jerusalem, verse 13. Seven miles, actually, sorry. Verse 14, and they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place, right? The talk of the town is, ooh, this Jesus guy, ooh, this Jesus guy, oh, yeah, right? He's resurrected. Some people are saying he's living. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing Jesus himself, I love this, approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him, so they're just walking. Could you imagine this experience? And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging as if he didn't know, right? And they're walking, and they stood looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, there's a name for your son, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem, and you're unaware of these things? Are you serious? Verse 19, and he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene who was a prophet mighty indeed in word in the sight of God and all people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and they crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel, right? This was their expected Messiah. Indeed, besides all of this, it's the third day since these things have happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying, They also had also seen a vision of of angels who had said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just exactly as the woman also had said. But him they did not see. And what are they saying there? Well, we heard what the women were saying, but we went there and we did not see him. And then verse 25, the rebuke. And he said, oh, foolish man, slow to heart to believe in all of what? The prophets prophets established long ago was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into glory 
Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. The gospel is a message about death. It is a message about life. It is a message that has its origin from God in the scriptures long ago before Jesus ever came to the scene. More importantly, though, guys, this is the message of the cross. What are we to do with this? Go back to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll close here. What are we to do with this message of death, propitiatory death, penal substitution, atonement? It's taken place. Resurrection, it's taken place. Established long ago in the scriptures. But this isn't a message we just sit around and say, oh, that's, that's good news. <laughs> oh, great, right? Great, someone's died for our sins and been resurrected. Verse 1, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you. And then Paul says, which you also received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast, verse 2, to the word which I preach to you. And what does holding fast mean? How do we know we, we hold fast, right? How do we know we haven't held fast? Into verse 2, unless you believed in vain. The gospel message is a message about death. Life has its root in God, origin in God. And it's a message that we stop and we say, believe. Believe. Wholeheartedly place your life onto the Lord Jesus Christ. And cling to it with strong conviction and assurance. If it weren't for time, I would take you to Hebrews 11 to develop faith. I think that is the best chapter that develops faith for us. Faith is, starts with conviction. It's belief that reaches down into the heart to where we place our lives solely onto the Lord Jesus Christ. And when all the world is offering us something, right? When, when what we're following, it doesn't seem to make sense. That's all Hebrews 11. We look forward to something and we hold fast to it because we have conviction. Abraham leaving his country by faith. Moses considering the reproach of Christ worth more than all that he could have had. Being second in command in Egypt, really? By faith. By faith. It's conviction that look past the temporal and the transient and says, I know what's coming, and I, I place my life solely on it. Amen? Let's bow in prayer. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news. This is the most important news. Thank you that this message has been preached. It started with the prophet started with God himself. It moved over into the New Testament of Jesus and the apostles. and They spread the message, Lord, and it's come to us. And someone's preached the message to us. And so we want to even praise you, Lord, for those of us who know you and who have believed in you, for putting individuals in our life who were faithful to preach the gospel, parents, co-workers, siblings, Friends, thank you for their beautiful feet. Thank you that they 
They were faithful to bring this message to us so that we might be saved and so that you might receive your glory. God, I want to pray for any who are here, God, that have not placed their faith solely on the Lord Jesus Christ, that have not laid their life with conviction, with assurance on His death and His resurrection being the only way in which we might be admitted into Your kingdom, into heaven. We want to pray for them. We want to pray that they would believe in His death. We want to pray that they would believe in His resurrection. We want to pray that they would wholly give their lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.